Great worship, wasn't it? I mean, that was wonderful worship. A couple of those songs I, I, I was not, I'd not heard before, and a couple of them, uh, you know, it's been a long time since I've heard, and they, they definitely felt good to me to sing. That last one uh, was a, a, a great song, uh, simple, but just uh, a great song that, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is, uh, is our greatest need. And when he, he says, like I, I can imagine him saying over there, hey, look, there's Jim. He's my friend. How good that'd make you feel? Man, you know, he, that he, just to hear him say that would be uh, uh, so good. And, and that's what he says, isn't it? It is what he says. So that's great. Well, okay, today, uh, tonight, it's been a good day too, huh? Swimming or I don't know how those guys played basketball out there or, or things. That, that was tough. They're tough. Uh, I want to talk about setting an example because one of the ways we do care for people is we recognize that the life we live has, uh, has influence. And, and we want to influence those around us and those we love and our children and our friends and those we work with. We want to influence them for their good. So how to make a good example work is what I want to uh, address tonight. Think about it like this. Uh, what does a contractor, why does a contractor use blueprints? Why does a, a dressmaker, if you've ever seen someone make a dress, how they pin the material to the uh, paper pattern before they cut it out, well, why does General Motors make a full-size clay mock-up? of a car before they start building it. Why, why, does, uh, why do they do those things? Well, because models help us see the direction we need to go. We make less mistakes if we see a pattern. We, we get it right the first time. We don't have to learn from our mistakes. We can learn from the mistakes of others. We can work out our, our problems on a template. We can save time when we have a model. We have a target to aim for. Model, good models inspire us. And so uh, it's, it, it's good to learn from a model, from an example. And that's what, what Paul uh, is going to talk about in this passage we're going to read today. It, it, everyone here probably knows the story about Roger Bannister, how he broke the four-minute mile. I mean, that, that's old news. But one of the interesting things, you know, they thought that was impossible. And then Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile but one of the interesting things is that in the next two years, after Roger Bannister did it the first time, 127 people did it. You know, after someone did it once, people thought, whoa, I guess it's not impossible. I, I pole vaulted in high school, and I remember when 16 feet was considered impossible. You know, 16 feet was as high as, uh, as a human being could ever jump. Well, now that's over 20 feet. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's well over 20 feet. And, and you know what? Uh, once someone does it once, then, then other people can do it. So I examples can be very powerful. In Philippians 3.17, now this is not the verse we're going uh, to look at mainly, but in, in chapter 3.17, the Apostle Paul says, three times, follow my example. Here's what he says. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now, if you look carefully at that verse, three times Paul says, you know, follow my example. He says, join together in following my example. That's the first time, brothers and sisters. Just as you have us as a model, 
That's the second time. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Three times. Three times Paul says, look at the way I live. Look at the way I live and try to live the way I live. You know, look at my life and, and try to live your life the way I, I live my life. Obviously, Paul felt a good example was important. He felt setting a good example. Well, we're going to read chapter 2. We're going to skip uh, the first part of chapter 2. We're going to skip to chapter 2, verse 19. And we're going to read verse 19 to the end of the chapter. So here is Paul holding up two men as great examples. And in the process of holding up these two men, we also get to see what Paul is like. So, okay, here's what he says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So he holds up Timothy, and, and then he goes on to hold up Epaphroditus. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you. And is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me. To spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him. So that when you see him again, you may be glad. And I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. And honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Because not everybody could visit Paul. Not everyone could make that trip. That's why he says not all of you could come. But Epaphroditus was the one they sent to bring Paul uh, money and help and encouragement. Well, uh, the power of, of, a, of a good example. Timothy, 1 Timothy is mentioned. Paul says... Uh, I have no one else like him. I, I, I don't have anyone like Timothy. Timothy stood out from all the other people who Paul served with. He says, I've, I don't have anyone like him. He's, he's, he's the greatest. He excels. He, he does more than others. He sacrifices more than others. He works harder more than others. He, he was way above average. I have no one else like him. No one like him. Paul said that Timothy had genuine concern for their welfare. Timothy wasn't just a, a task-oriented person, but also a, a person-oriented person. And maybe that balanced Paul out, by the way, because if anyone was a task-oriented person, it's probably the Apostle Paul. But Timothy, you know, loved people and uh, genuine concern for their welfare. He, Timothy wanted uh, the people at Philippi to be healthy and happy and faithful. Paul also says that Timothy proved himself. Well, how do you prove yourself? Well, the way you prove yourself, it has to take time and trouble. The way you prove yourself is you go through a hard time and you make it through successfully. That's how you prove yourself. 
you prove yourself over a, a time span going through some hardship and coming out of it okay. That's how you prove yourself. And Timothy proved himself. He had gone through hard times over a substantial length of time, some difficult circumstances. We don't know exactly what they were, but uh, Paul says Timothy's proven himself. He'll come through those hard times. He's proved himself. Paul said that Timothy served with him in the work of the gospel as a son with his father. He says, me and Timothy, man, we work well together. You know, we, we, we get along. We, we, we balance each other out. We work well together. Like a son with a father, as, as we plant churches, as we build up people, as we serve the Lord, we work well together like a son with a father. So the first thing Paul does in this passage is he just reminds the Philippians, I'm going to send Timothy to you. He is a great guy. He is worth looking at his life. I don't have anyone else like him. He's been proven. Look at his life. And he holds up Timothy as a good example. And then, then the second thing is Paul talks about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was their pastor. Epaphroditus was the one who had uh, taken the offerings that the Philippian people had, had, uh, had, had taken and brought them to Paul. And uh, on the way of bringing that, uh, that love gift, either he got deathly sick or he could have been beaten up in some way. But, but some, it, it damaged him physically. And so uh, he, uh, he, he, he wanted to bring money to Paul. Paul's in prison And back then in prison, they don't provide food. And if you want to eat, you have to have friends or family who bring you food. And so the Philippians wanted to bring money to help Paul. They didn't know how long he's going to be in prison. They wanted to bring money and help so that Paul could be fed while he was in prison. And and in doing that, somehow Epaphroditus got deathly sick. So Paul calls Epaphroditus my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, All three of those phrases talk about equality. Paul sees Epaphroditus as his equal. Paul sees Epaphroditus, you know, he he is on a par with me. He he is a a good man. And uh, one of the uh, things I think we should note, because this did not happen, and it doesn't happen here by accident. Uh, You have a pastor and a church that's on the same team. And, and, and I, I catch that. And that's the way the Philippian church was. You know, Epaphroditus and the people at Philippi were, were all on the same team. And they, they, they were all worked together. But a lot of churches today are not like that. A lot of churches in the New Testament were not like that. You know, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. But the Philippians and Epaphroditus had built that, that team. And Paul says, Epaphroditus uh, is my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. He says, he's the messenger you sent to take care of my needs. He risked his life. And then he goes on to say, he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. What has happened is uh, he, he, the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to bring money and love and encouragement to Paul. On the way, he gets deathly sick or beat up, or something. Something happened that made him, brought him close to death. And, and then the people back in, in uh, Philippi heard that their pastor was deathly sick. And they're worried about him. They're very worried. Well, then Epaphroditus, through the grapevine, hears, they're worried about me. They think I might die. And so he's worried that they're worried. You know, <laughs> and, and, and he wants word to get back to them. I'm okay, I'm okay, I survived. 
you know, and he wants to know. He's distressed because he knows that his friends back in Philippi heard that, that he, he was ill. So Epaphroditus is the second example that Paul holds up. He says, you know, Timothy, I, I have no one like him. Epaphroditus, he risked his life for the gospel. And, and in doing that, in Paul pointing out those two men, we also get to see a little bit about Paul's own heart. We, we get to realize that Paul was a team player. He saw Epaphroditus as his equal. Timothy was like a son to him. And, and Paul loved those friendships that developed when, when people cooperate together for the work of God. And, and those of you who are on teams here, who do things together, you know that there's a, there's, there's a fellowship that develops when you work together and sacrifice together. And Paul loved those, those fellowships. Paul loved to verbally honor, as he does here, I honor Timothy, I honor Epaphroditus. Now, if you know Paul, and you, and you have read the New Testament, most of you, you know that Paul could call people out on the carpet if it was necessary, right? I mean, you read, you read Paul's letters, he's not hesitant to call people out. When they're off base, Paul's not hesitant to call them out, right? He'll do that. He'll do that. He has, he has enough spunk to do that, right? He does it. We, we see him do that. One time, he even called the, the apostle Peter out. In the book of Galatians, he, he calls the apostle Peter who is a big star, right, a big gun, important person, Paul tells Peter, Peter, you're acting wrongly. You're not acting, you're not acting right. He, so, so Paul's not afraid to do that. But that's not what Paul likes to do. What Paul likes to do is to praise and point the good out. And he has a lot more of that in his writing than he does in, in, in calling people out. So, so Paul tells the Philippians, uh, guys, you've got some good men here. Timothy and, and Epaphroditus. And, and, and we get to see Paul's own heart. Uh, Paul was, was uh, a person who, who loved to uh, build up other people. And we also get a, a view into Paul's heart when he says, uh, about talking about Epaphroditus almost dying, he says, oh man, I'm so, so glad Epaphroditus lived because if, if Epaphroditus had died, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Sorrow upon sorrow. He's had plenty of sorrow. But he says, man, if we had lost Epaphroditus, I, I don't know what I would have done. What would have broke my heart. What, I, I, I would have grieved. I, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. And we get to see a little bit about Paul. About Paul, too. Well, so this passage. This passage holds, we, we get to see three people. Timothy, Epaphroditus, and the Apostle Paul. And... Uh, making our life a good example is a call that God gives all of us because people will learn from us. People will see our lives and it will influence. So being a good example. Here's some passages. In Philippians 2, 5, same chapter we just read, only a, a verse or, a verses earlier, uh, Paul wrote this. Have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. He, he, he was telling them to be humble, have humility, and be obedient to God, a servant heart, to people the same way Jesus did. In 1 Timothy 4.12, he says, Set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 
So how we talk to each other sets an example. How we talk to our wife, how we talk to our husband, how we talk to our children, how we talk to our friends is part of the example that we set. He says, set an example in speech, in conduct. Jesus, Jesus, in in, uh, the Gospel of John, it records Jesus when he washed the feet of the disciples. Jesus said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And he talks about being a servant, being willing to get down and, and, uh, and help someone and welcome someone. Our, our character, our values are all reflected in our, in our, in our, model, in our uh, examples. And Jesus is our, is our best example. You know, he, he is like God's life lived for, for us. So I think it's safe to say that God places an enormous value on you and I setting a good example, the best example we can, because it does influence other people. Jesus told his disciples, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And and that's uh, following that template, following that model, becoming like Christ. Setting a good example is foundational to discipleship. It's foundational to being a disciple. We can only lead others to become disciples of Christ as we authentically model the character and the values of Jesus. As we become more like Jesus, you know, then we are are the example God wants us to do. Uh, Blueprints, uh, most of you... Uh, have seen blueprints. There's a whole stack for any building, a whole stack of blueprints, and they cover every phase of building, and, and, and from, the, from the ground, you know, all the way up to the finished building. Blueprints guide the builders. It, it, if you have a trained eye like an architect or a contractor has, they can look at those blueprints, and they can see in their mind what it's going to look like. They can see what the building's going to look like. They can see what the plumbing's going to look like. They can see what the electricity's going to look like. They can see it from those blueprints. And engineers and contractors and, and architects, they can tell where the, the heavy beams have to be. You know, before this building was built, they knew that you had to have beams locked in like that or this roof would cave in. And so they knew if they did it like that, thank you, they, they knew if they did it like that, it would hold up. You know, and, and they, this was all a blueprint at one time. You know, someone didn't just start taking wood and put it together. There were blueprints for this building. And uh, they could, engineers can look at a blueprint and they can tell if there's enough deviation. Because here in California, there's earthquakes and you have to build buildings, obviously, that can withstand an earthquake. And uh, your house you live in is built differently than the houses in, than the houses in New York City. Because... Your house is built to shake. It's built to shake. And the plaster will fall off and maybe some pictures will fall off. But your house is not going to fall down in an earthquake. You know, if it was built in the last, uh, say, 60 years. If your house is built in the last 60 years, it's not going to fall down. It'll shake like the heck. You know, it'll shake back and forth. But it won't fall because it's engineered that way. It's engineered. Blueprints are vital to estimate costs. No contractor is going to bid on a contract until he goes carefully over all the blueprints to make an estimate of the costs. I think of some of the models I had in my life and how important they were. 
just as they are important to build a building, the models you choose are important for your life because they build your life. I think of, here's some. You, you won't know these people, I don't think. You might know one or two. All of these men have died except one. But I, I saw them live. I saw their life. Dr. Robert Fife. He was just a gracious Christian gentleman. Dr. Leroy Lawson, who was president of Hope International University. He was courageous and just a guy who thought outside the box. And I, I, he's still alive. Dr. David Allen Hubbard, who was president of Fuller Seminary when I was there. Man, he dedicated brilliance. He dedicated his brilliance to God and to building up young men and women. My Uncle Ross, who was not famous, just a humble man, but generous and inclusive and had a heart full of love. And he, he had, uh, he, he's one of my models. Peter Drucker. I took uh, Peter Drucker's classes, a couple of his classes. He was 90 years old. 90 years old and still teaching. Uh, I talk about a guy who is uh, productive and innovative at age 90. What, a, what an example. He's one of my models. And John Rao. John Rao was one of those guys. He was a war horse for God. You know, he, he was one of those war horse. He just wouldn't quit till the day he died. He worked hard. He had so many surgeries. I don't know how he survived. But he wouldn't quit working for God till the day he died. You know, he's a war horse for God. And then, uh, I'll, I'll never forget my dad. My dad was not perfect in many ways. But when my mother had cancer, the last couple years of, of her life, my dad served my mom so well, I, I, I almost could not believe it, you know. I'll never forget that. Never forget that. That was a good model for me. Well, Jesus had that kind of influence on the disciples. They saw his life. They learned from him. It really, Jesus' entire ministry was one of setting an example both in, in deed and in word. Jesus never wrote a book. How many great men, how many men who have been influential like Jesus have never written a book? We have no book from Jesus. Jesus didn't write anything down. You know, it was up to those disciples to record things and, 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 and see Jesus' life and what he said. Jesus didn't write anything. You know, he, he's one of the greatest, maybe, well, he is the greatest leader, uh, just from a worldly standpoint, who, who has influenced the world, and he never wrote a book. Never wrote, wrote a book. He taught us by his example how to serve. He taught us by his example of what God is like. He taught us from his example how to pray. He taught us not to put ourselves first. He taught us to look for the needs of others. Jesus taught us how God responds to those the world excludes. He taught us how God values each person. He taught us how God lifts up the humble and brings, brings down the arrogant. And he did it all by example. Word, uh, lived, action, and, and word. So, okay, I hope I've made my case that your example is incredibly important. I want to give you six applications, six real quick applications uh, of an example because our examples, are, the way we live our life is very important because it does influence others. So here's uh, six quick applications. One, you know, choose your examples very carefully. Choose the best you can. And, and they can be perfect in one area. Maybe they aren't as good in other areas, but if they are an example in one of those areas you want to do better in, make them your example in that area. My Uncle Ross. My Uncle Ross was not rich. My Uncle Ross, you know, uh, never uh, 
would be considered dynamic. He was not dynamic. He was not well-known, but he was the best father to, five, to his five daughters I've ever seen. And he was so inclusive. He used to have a barbecue once a week, and everybody was invited. And, and, and he would always, Jim, come on down for the barbecue. You know, come on down for the barbecue. And he, he would invite neighbors. He didn't care who showed up. You know, he was just glad that people were there. And he always was inclusive and humble and welcomed them. And you know what? What a good model. I, I don't measure up to his graciousness. But there are always people around my Uncle Ross because he loved them. And so, you know, I, 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 I hold him as one of my, my uh, examples. And John Rao, he's my example for working hard for Christ and as long as you live. And, and each of my examples... Each of those men uh, are, are, have aspects of their life I want to be like. You know, I want to be like. And so choose your examples carefully. Here's the second thing. Remember that to teach effectively from your example, you have to use words. Words are very important. You cannot just set an example with your life and not say anything. It, this is a lot more complicated than you think. Some people think that uh, simply living a good example is enough, but, but it's really not. If all you do is live a good life and you don't put words to it in some way, if all you do is live a good life, it has very little impact. Very, it's not very effective. It's one of the weakest leadership aspects uh, you can have is just living a, a good life. I'll, I'll give you some illustrations. Almost all my life, I, I've been picking up litter, you know, paper on the ground. When I go hiking, I pick up paper. I pick up things on the trail. Uh, I, I, if I'm at the church, I'll pick up paper on the ground. I even, in, if I go to a men's room in a restaurant, I, I don't tell, I usually haven't told people too much about this, but if there's, if there's paper on the ground, <laughs> I'll wash my hands, take extra paper, pick up their paper. I thought, if they're providing a bathroom, you know, I, I'll help them keep it clean. Uh, and, and I, okay, question. How many people do you think have been inspired by my example to pick up litter? None. None. Because I just did it. I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I didn't say, hey, let's get this place clean. Let's do it together. I never said anything like that. You know? So uh, or here's another illustration. This is a hypothetical. Let's say, let's say you moved into a neighborhood where nobody took care of their front lawn. And so you said, okay, you determined, I'm going to really... I'm going to really change this neighborhood. I'm going to take really good care of my front lawn. So you go out and you get a lawnmower and you get an edger and trimmer and, and, and fertilize your lawn and you trim your lawn and you, you get it clean and you week, week after week you're out there in the hot sun mowing your grass, edging your grass, trimming your trees and, and, and raking, doing all the things. Man, your yard looks good. How many of your neighbors do you think ran out and bought a lawnmower? None. They won't go out and buy a lawnmower just because you set an example. Or let's say, here's another hypothetical. Let's say you just became a Christian. And uh, you, you go to work the next day, and you're determined to live a clean, honest life. You want to set a good example. So you don't want to tell anyone that you're a Christian now, because, uh, you know, it, it might upset them, because they knew you before, and so you don't want to upset them. And you don't want to start at a Bible, start an existing Bible study because that might be presumptuous. All of a sudden, you go to their Bible study. And, and you don't want to be an annoying Bible thumper 
So you just decide, I'm just going to live a good life and let them see my life. And that's what you do. You decide just to be good. Not to talk about your faith, but just to live a good life. Set a good example. Ten years go by. How many people in your office do you think will have become a Christian because of you? Zero. None. They probably won't even know you're a Christian. And, and, and you, you, you have many times, people say, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian, you know. Because if you don't talk about it in some way, they won't know just by an example that you're a Christian. An effective example leads by both action and words. And so uh, one way to uh, put words to an example, a lived example, is to point out, like Paul did, hey, hey, look at uh, this Bible study that so-and-so is leading on our lunch hour. That's really great. Wait, why don't you come with me and we'll go? You know, by putting words, using words to back up your example. Well, it has to be words and, and, and example. Okay, three, in setting an example, your words and your deeds, they have to match. You know, you, if, we, if we hear someone who says how good he is, but we see him doing something immoral, you know, we call him a hypocrite. We call him a hypocrite. On the other hand, if someone sets a good example but doesn't tell you why, it's ambiguous. And, and so you have, to, you have to have a match. You have to have a match. The words to, to the life. Uh, which wing of an airplane is most important? Which one would you be okay without? You know, you've got to have both wings. And you can't have a big wing on one side and a little wing on the other side. They've got to, they've got to match. A man was uh, walking his funny-looking dog. His dog was kind of a cross between a chihuahua and a St. Bernard. And, and uh, a, a funny-looking little, little dog. And a woman stops one day as this man's walking his dog, and she says, what kind of dog is that? And the man responds proudly, this is a police dog. She looks, a little, she looks at the little peanut dog, you know, and, and, and says, he doesn't look like any police dog I've ever seen before. And the man responds, that's because he's an undercover police dog. <laughs> he's, he's hiding it, you know, he's hiding it. Well, we, 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 we can't hide it, we can't hide it. Your words in your life have to match. Now, no one's perfect, right? No one's perfect. No one bats a thousand. In fact, it's one of the reasons we hesitate to tell people we're a Christian is because we know how far short we fall. We know our flaws. We know our sins. We know that we get mad. We know that we raise our voice. We know that we act many times not the way we're supposed to. And so we're hesitant to tell people we're a Christian. And, and, and they do have to match. But a perfect example, uh, you, you, no, no one sets a perfect example. No one's perfect. They have to match, but they don't have to be perfect. And then here's, here's, uh, here's number five. Be an expert at cleaning up your own messes. You don't have to be perfect, but be an expert at cleaning up your own messes. Here, here, you're going to fail. You're going to fall short. You're going to mess up. Uh, we all are. But if you have the capacity, the inner strength to apologize and own up when you fall down, when you make a mistake, when you've yelled and you shouldn't have yelled, when you've called someone a name and you shouldn't have called them a name, when you've said something wrong to your children, you said something wrong to your wife, you, you've over-responded, overreacted, you, you've done wrong, 
uh, you ha have the inner capacity to go and ask forgiveness or to say, I'm sorry, or to say, I was the one who was wrong. You know, I, I, I messed up. Acknowledge your failures. Admit that, that you were off base. You know, attempt a reconciliation. Be the one who cleans up their own messes. When you mess up, own up to it, and, and, and go and, and even, you know, you'll think, oh man, my example was so blown. I, I so overreacted. Uh, well, acknowledge it and, and, and go to them and, and ask, uh, ask uh, forgiveness. Take responsibility for your own messes. In a marriage, you will, you'll never feel closer to your spouse than when one of you goes to the other and says, I, I was wrong. You know, I was sorry. You know, will you forgive me? So don't hesitate to humble yourself. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they won't inherit the earth. Well, okay, last application. Accept the grace of God. Accept the grace of God. When you, you know, if you fail, accept the grace of God. If you mess up, accept it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, not if you mess up, when you mess up. Because we all mess up. We all mess up. We all blow our example sometime, all of us. None of us set a perfect example. But humble yourself when you blow up, when you blow it, and, and, and you, will, you will blow it many times. Your example, you may set a good example most of the time, but you will fail. You will blow it. You will blow it. And you know what? Give yourself some grace because that's, that's what you need. And that's what other people need. The Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. None righteous. That, that means that uh, uh, that's a description of my life. You know, I, I'm not the person I should be. And neither are you. You can't become a Christian until you recognize, God, uh, I, have a, I have a great need in my life. I'm far from the person I should be. I need help. I, I, I need forgiveness. I need your grace. And like the song we sang, you know, the songs, several of the songs we sang tonight, you know, Jesus, the, the, the one who was perfect, says to us, he's my friend. She's my friend. I love that person. I died for that person. They're forgiven. Their, their sins are, uh, might have been red as scarlet. They're now white as snow. They're forgiven. And give yourself some grace. Because that's what you need. That's what everybody else around you need. When you set an example, you don't have to be perfect. And, and one of the best things you can do in setting an example is to acknowledge that you need grace every day. You know, you need God's help, God's forgiveness, that you blow it so many times, and you need God's grace. And that's what people need to hear. That's what people need to hear. Not that you're so perfect, but that when you fall, God forgives and that there is grace. Give yourself some grace and, and give others grace because that's the deepest need of our lives is to know that uh, we have done wrong and yet God gives us grace. Jesus says to us, you know, he's my friend. She's my friend. I love them. And when we fully accept the grace of God, 
you know, then it's not hard to set an example. We don't have to be perfect, but we recognize our life has influence and we live it that way. But we know that number one, the number one thing that, is, uh, that we need in our life is grace. And we just thank God that Jesus gives us grace. He died on the cross that we, that we need forgiveness. And he gave it. He gave it. You know, he's my friend. She's my friend. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you that we can be your friend. And you come down and, and sit with us and talk with us and walk with us. You're not hesitant to say that you love us, that uh, we, we want to live like you live. We want to have the character you have, the values and the priorities. We want to have the purposes you have in life. We want to be like you. But, Father, you know how short we fall. And we are thankful that in spite of, of all of our falling short in life, you are not hesitant to call us friend, to, to put your arm around us and love us and, and make us part of your family, to call us a brother or a sister, and, and your child too. So we, we're, we're thankful, Father, for your grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.